This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers the teaching entitled Count. This is the fourth message in the series, Double Dog Dare Part Do. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone in week four of Double Dog Dare Part Do. Now we're doing this part two series because there are things we recognize are holding us back from the better life that God has for all of us. And God is going to challenge us right at the, the core of our character because character is core to getting a better life. We've been talking about that, but I want to take a bit of a time out for a moment and just tell you right now, I'm pretty fired up about where we're going today. Love where this teaching is going because of all the dares in this series, this one might be the most overlooked. And if you, if you will embrace today's dare, if you will put it into practice, I'm telling you, it'll, it'll take you to the top. It's that big of a deal. So let me just ask, here's the question. Who do you know that you can count on? Just right now, begin to answer the question in your mind. Who do you know that you can count on? I mean, they speak, they say something, and you're like, oh, I can count on that person. So right now, just faces in the names. Who are the friends? Like, like their friends come to your mind. Or maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody at work, co-worker, maybe somebody in a small group, maybe somebody on a serving team, maybe, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a schoolmate, whatever, teammate, what, you immediately know people, oh yeah, 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 that's somebody I can count on. And what you intuitively recognize is that those people are a gift in your life, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're a gift, people you can count on. And that brings us to today's one word, and that word is Count. But actually, if I took the freedom that Kevin Queen did last week, I'd give you two words. And the words are count on. Say it with me. What do it need to be? Count on. Say it one more time here. What is it? Count on. And, and, and here's the dare. It's right there in your notes. You got to kind of do a little fill in the blank. Here's your double dog dare. Make every effort to be a person others can what? Count on. Make every effort to be a person others can count on. Perfectly? Nope. Nobody does that perfectly. But persistently, Yes. Nobody achieves that perfectly, but we must all aspire to it persistently because the person who rises up and becomes a person others can count on, listen, they are more and more like God and more and more they get the better life. It's a fact. In fact, for 2017, your dare may not be where we launched the series push. It may not be churn. It may not be let go where Kevin Queen left off last week. It might be count on. If you study the life of the Apostle Peter, it's like his life was a master's degree in count on. He was the, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was the one that walked on water. And, and if he could give us four lessons to, to train us in this whole count on thing, I, I think I know what he'd tell us. So I put it in your notes. Here we go. Lesson number one, just jot it down. The first thing is declare. Say that with me. The first thing is what, everybody? You, there's something you need to declare in your life. Declare, you can count on me. That, you need to be able to declare to other people, hey, you can count on me. In other words, my words count. Fill in the blank. My words count. Everybody's got their teaching notes. It's on the back of the bulletin. My words need to count. In fact, I wrote this in your notes, so it's right there in your bulletin. I'm going to read the paragraph underneath it. And when I face a moment where it's easier to discount what I said I'd do, 
I'll recount my words and be the person others can count on. My better life comes with being a person others can count on. See, that right there will change your life for good. Peter, Peter was there live and in person when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus was unpacking a problem in his culture that's still a problem in our culture. And that is people would say things and they wouldn't do it. You couldn't count on them. Their words were trivial. And, and what people would do is they, they'd say something and then, and then a little bit later on when they had to make good on it, they wouldn't. And, and you'd say to them, now didn't you say, yeah, I did, but... Oh, but you know what? I, I didn't have to do that because I didn't make a real oath. What? And I didn't swear by the temple. I didn't swear by the fill in the blank. I mean, that, that, what was going on is, oh, I didn't really have to keep my word. It really didn't. And, and Jesus interrupts us and says, no, your words need to count. Look at what Jesus said, kind of a summary of Matthew chapter 5. From verses 33 to 37, Jesus kind of gave us a hint here. He said, don't say anything you don't mean. Just let your what? Yes mean yes, and your what? No mean no. In other words, when you speak, your words should count. In fact, if Jesus were here at Modern Day Teaching, he'd probably tap into something like the commercial that entertains our family. The one from Citibank, double points means double. Don't you wish everybody said what they meant? And, and then they do that little, uh, like, if you're with a contractor doing renovations in your house, uh, don't you wish everybody would say what they mean? I'll, I'll just play one of them. You'll get the point. This stuff makes me smile. Check it out. Great. Yeah, okay. Well, this here's a load-bearing wall. We'll go ahead and rip that out. It's going to yeah. cause a lot of problems. Mm. Totally unnecessary. And it triples the budget. We'll be way behind schedule, right? <laughs> Schedules. <laughs> Schedules. Uh, Great. Okay. So how much longer do you think this will take? I'll over-explain the process, mm. then give you an unrealistic timeline. I'll nod in agreement so my wife thinks I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I look forward to questioning your every move. Okay, well, I'll leave your house in shambles and disappear for six months. Wouldn't it be great if everyone said what they meant? <laughs> Just make, don't you wish everybody said what they meant? In other words, the world would be better if everybody said what they meant and did what they said. Amen? That was not supportive enough. The world would be better if everybody said what they meant and did what they said. Amen? It would be. So quit demanding that of other people and just go be that person. Just be that person. That's what Jesus is saying. No more casual words from you. No more casual words, casual commands. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would. You make your words count. Be a person others can count on. And declare this. Almost like you literally declare it. Like, like, like when you get done talking to somebody, you say, and you can count on me. And, and if you don't say it literally to the person, just say it under your breath. So that when you speak, you know that you made yourself accountable to that and you can be counted on. It'll give you and everybody else a better life. Peter, Peter had declared some things. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Everybody grab their Bibles underneath their chair. If you're, in a, if you're in a worship center Bible, it's over on page 1,225, page 1225. And when you turn there to page 1,225, page 1225, I want you to stay there. Kind of keep your Bible open because we're going to refer back to it at several times. If you're on a mobile device, it's 2 Peter chapter 1. And look what Peter says. Very first thing, first verse. Simon Peter, he's writing this letter to the church. Simon Peter, 
a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you see that right there? He's putting a tag on himself. He's declaring some things. He said, listen, this is who I am. I'm a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm putting a tag on myself and I'm declaring it. This is who I am. That's, that's important. Now, in his case, he knew what he was saying. Servant mean in this culture, I know that the lowest position is a servant. And simultaneously, I have the highest position in the church, the kingdom of God on earth. I'm an apostle. And I understand that's who I am. And I live out of what I've declared. I live out of my tag. Put a tag on yourself. What are the tags you carry? Because those are your declarations. Everybody carries a tag. Kind of like clothes, right? I mean, every, all, all clothes have a tag. You go to the tag, and what does it tell you? It, it tells you what it's made of. Put a tag on yourself. What are you made of? What are you about? What can we count on from you? Like, like I have a tag. One of my tags is I'm a husband. That's a tag. Which means this. Marsha, my wife, Marsha, you can count on me. See, spouses need to be able to count on each other. Say what you mean and mean what you say. And then make good on it. Because that's what builds trust and a better life. Oh, this is powerful. I have another tag. I am a dad. That means Joshua, Julissa, Jake, Jaden, you can count on me. See, kids need to be able to count on their parents. This is, do, do not take this light. This is a powerful thing. To actually say the words. Go practice it once. Go say to one another in your family, you can count on me. It it calls up the best in you. It it puts you in the accountability of who you were created to be, of what you committed to. This is powerful. Say the words, declare it. Put the tag that you've embraced on you. And by the way, this is a better life for everybody. This is so huge. If you're not seeing how practical this is, let me just for a moment, just let me go here. Do you understand what kind of country we could be in, both experientially and economically, if in our world, everybody who brought a kid into this world took responsibility, and we could count on you to raise the kids you bring? Listen, man, woman, you bring a kid into this world, you say, I have all kinds of freedom to have relations, whoever, fine. But you bring a kid in the world, the rest of us are counting on you to raise a kid. We don't want to raise your kid. Everybody raise their own kids. You raise your own kids, and all the rest of the world works. Now, stay with me on it, because this is true. Do you realize that from the rich to the middle class to the poor, if we would all take responsibility to raise the kids we brought in the world, you, you could remove the majority of defects. You could redu- remove the majority of, of foster care. You would absolutely change the culture of this nation. You would transform the finances of this nation. You would strengthen the family. Teachers could actually teach instead of having to parent at the schools. That would be mind-blowing. You would, revolu- you would revolutionize this nation. If teachers had to just teach instead of fix what got broken down in the rich family, the middle class, and the poor, if we would just raise the kid, you brought a kid in the world, you raise him, the rest of us don't want to raise him. And then we can just take care of tragedies and step in and help when, when there's orphans in the light. You, listen, this is so powerful and so practical. It is transforming to your life to become a person others can count on. This is no light thing. Peter declared and defined who he was by his tag. And by the way, he didn't pull it off on his own power. 
go right back there. You, you should be sitting there, so I'll just go right back. And, and second, or second Peter chapter, three, chapter 1, verse 3, look at verse 3. Peter says, his, God's divine power. See, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Listen, you say, oh, I can't be a person who, who can count on. I don't have the strength to do that all the time. No, you don't. But his divine power, you come into a relationship with God and faith in Jesus, and God's power indwells you and makes possible what you couldn't do on your own. Paul, P Peter's not talking about this because he has all the power on his own. Peter's talking about this because he knows he has the power of God. But, but look, when he gets done writing, verses 3 and 4, it doesn't stop. You have a role. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. For this reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Say it with me. Do what? Make every effort. See, you got a role in this. You're going to have to make effort. Then when I write, the double dog dares make every effort to be a person others can count on, you got to make that effort. He describes the character. Make every effort to add to. See, this is a growing process. To add to faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. You know what that sounds just like? The fruit of the Spirit. If you're familiar with it, Galatians chapter 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Oh, my goodness. What is that one? Faithfulness. What is it? Faithfulness. A person others can count on. It is the nature of God. When you walk with God, he'll make it your nature. It's his character. He'll make it yours. But you've got to make some effort in this. You, you have a role to play. What's your tag? What's your work tag? See, even if, listen, even if your work tag is I'm an athlete, well, that means I'm a team player, and you live out of that. Stephen A. Smith with ESPN did a little commentary on Julio Jones. And in that, not only talked about the reason he should be recognized for his greatness, not merely from stats, but from the core. This is a man who lives out of the tag of his professional role. I'm telling you, if you can hear the words, they are insightful to becoming a person others can count on. This is worth two minutes if you can hear it. Check it out. The book lists him at six feet four, 220 pounds. It states he's a perennial all pro. What's considering the fact that over the last three years, he's had 323 receptions for 4,873 yards, there isn't an excuse, at least for anyone interested in making sense, to argue about the greatness of Julio Jones. He's big time, y'all. He's heading to the Super Bowl. He's on the verge of becoming a champion. And perhaps best of all, he knows how to act in the process. Think that little tidbit doesn't matter? Pause for a second and educate yourself. Of all the great wide receivers in NFL history, from Randy Morse to Terrell Owens, is it an accident that we talk about Jerry Rice as the greatest? Of course the numbers matter, but so does the professionalism, the commitment to excellence, and the desire to make a name for yourself strictly on the field of play, not in the headlines. While Odell Beckham Jr. was partying near South Beach, or Antonio Brown was doing Facebook Live posts before subsequently losing their next playoff games, by the way, where was Julio Jones? Where was he partying? What was he doing? Where's the prima donna tag normally attached to receivers? The headlines, the distractions. Any news about Jones' refusal to talk to the media, by the way? Punching walls, banging his head versus a locker room door? Take your time, people. I'll wait. Actually, don't bother, because you're not going to find anything of the sort when it comes to Julio. 
And you know why? Because Julio Jones is a football player, paid to play football, who focused strictly on his job description. He's an individual who once played for Nick Saban at Alabama. He knows what's required to become a champion, and he knows what to prioritize as well. In today's NFL, we don't see enough of that sometimes. What we see are too many individuals in the limelight looking for more of it, anxious to cash in on popularity, even at the expense of production at times. And when it costs them, it's really their fault. The blame always belongs to someone else. So the next time you see Julio in the ATL or anywhere else, salute that brother, pay homage, be grateful. Not just because of his greatness as the best receiver in football, but also because of why he's so great. He does his job. He knows what's priority. And considering the times we're living in, that's the most beautiful thing of all. Come on now, that is well said. Because Julio has a tag on his life. I'm a professional athlete, football player, and you can count on me to be a team player. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to be diligent. And that's one of the reasons that the Falcons are going to the Super Bowl. Woo! Now, listen, it's, it, it's okay if you have been a Patriots fan. It is okay. Because we can pray against the evil one as we always do. I'm just having fun. No, I'm probably not. No, I'm probably, no I probably mean it. By the way, you can, you, you can be a fan of the Patriots and still be a part of 12 Stone. Except from about 6 to 9 uh, next weekend. So fired up about the Falcons being in the Super Bowl, but, but actually, it's, I'm fired up about Super Bowl Sunday for more reasons than the Falcons being in, although that is, that is a wonderful providence because we've been planning on a Super Bowl Sunday for really months and intending to make this Super Bowl Sunday a probably the most fun and meaningful all at the same time. And so we've been doing this kind of creative stuff, what we're going to do and kind of shift the stage into a football field and, and we're going to have a, a kind of first half and second half teaching. Kevin Queen and I are both going to be involved in that. It's going to be fun and, and Matt and Travis are going to be invested in kind of this whole thing and they, they got some cool fun stuff because they're going to be commentator through the whole thing and halftime and commercials. And we're, just, we're just going to have a whole lot of fun and why? So that it's easier for you to invite people on Super Bowl Sunday because it's an easy time to invite them in and, and then y'all go do a party in the evening, the Super Bowl Sunday night, but you have a tag on you. I have a tag on me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And therefore, people far from God matter to God. That's why I invite them in, because they need to be in the faith conversation. Because if you don't know Jesus, you have no hope. Now we're for all of eternity. We have a tag on our life, and it matters. So we create service environments like that to invite people in because they matter to God. I don't know what tags you have, but they matter. For, for example, maybe you've had to put the tag on you. I am a fit person. I'm going to be a fit person. And therefore, I can count on myself to live it. A tag matters. I'm a disciplined person. I'm going to count on myself to fulfill that. Look, I am a student. That might be your tag. And you can count on me to study. I am single. That's my tag. You can count on me to be sexually pure till married. I am married. That's my tag. So my spouse is my only intimate relationship option. Listen, I have a tag. I'm a responsible person with debt. Count on me to pay my debt. See, I don't know what tag you need to place and acknowledge on on your life and declare, but then you need to go fulfill it. Are you a person who can be counted on? Back to Peter. Before he even understood that he was a servant and an apostle, he declared something. Jesus, you can count on me. At the Last Supper is what it was called. Jesus said, you all are going to betray me. Walk away from me. 
and, and, and I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to be sacrificed. And they were like, no, may it never be. And then Peter said, but listen, you can count on me, Jesus. Even if everybody falls away, I won't. I'll go to prison. I'll go to death for you, Jesus. You can count on me. And if you, any of you know the story, something happened next. And that brings us to point number two. Look at your notes. Here it is. Peter would tell us, you got to admit. You have to what, everybody? You got to admit. Say it with me. You have to what? Admit. It's tough to count alone. It's tough to count alone. See, I read this earlier, right, right off the top, I'll read it again. And when I face a moment where it's easier to discount what I said I'd do. See, there's going to be moments in your life where you want to discount what you said. See, you said you can count on me, and then under pressure, under what? Pressure. It's like, ooh, I'd like to discount what I said. <laughs> Every marriage experiences that. Every career experiences that. Every job experiences that. Every educational pursuit experiences that. Every sports team experiences that. Everybody in the faith journey experiences that. Every church experiences that. Peter couldn't be counted on under pressure. In that one moment, he denied Jesus. We've all been there. We've all made the declaration and then later caved. We said, count on me, and then we couldn't be counted on. We get his story. It happens to everybody. And I think that's when he experienced, you know what, it's tough to be a person others can count on all on your own. Do you know what I imagine? I imagine what could have helped you, you all now know that we now have a 12-stone app, and more and more is going to be a part of it, but, but we're launching it with, with, with small groups. You know what I imagine? What if Peter had the 12-stone app? Just go with me. What if Peter had the 12-stone app? And so he pulled out his iPhone. And when Jesus, when Jesus was under the mock trial... And, and, and Peter follows him to the mock trial. And, and now the crowd is starting to swarm around Peter. And it's obvious Jesus is going down. And, and, and they're starting to ask Peter, hey, aren't you a follower of that Jesus? And Peter's like, oh, no, oh, no. And he's starting to crater. Can you imagine if he pulled out his iPhone? He's like, guys. And he got on his small group messaging. He, guys, this is going bad. No, I mean, Jesus is going down. This is no joke. And people are asking me, are you a follower of Jesus? And dude, I'm, I'm crashing. I'm caving. Everything in me is saying, no, I don't even know who you're talking about. I'm actually going to become the person I said I would never be. Can you imagine how powerful it would have been if he could have messaged that to the other disciples? And then they messaged back in the moment. Peter, come on, man. I know under pressure, you want to discount your own commitments and your own words, but recount your words. You're better than this. You were made for this. You know what matters. Man, rise up. <laughs> you have no idea what I don't say. <laughs> Would have helped him? See, because, hear me. I don't believe anybody can consistently rise up to their commitments without the help of others. Just very carefully. 
When I started the teaching and said, are you a person others can count on? You go, oh yeah. You know why? Because the only thing you're remembering is when you could have been counted on. You're not thinking about the times when you did. See, listen, this is a side thought. I don't have time for this, but I wanted to say it. I just don't have time, so I'll just say it at 11 o'clock. Most of us, when I say, can you be counted on, you only remember the times you could. And then when you think of others, you think of the times when they didn't. But when people think of you, they're remembering when you didn't. Because nobody does consistently. Not where you're vulnerable and weak. And God gave a gift to the church called community. Look at Acts chapter 2. Between verses 42 and 47, two of the verses say this. They devoted, it's on the screen, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This was the big assembly. They broke bread in their homes, in their what? Homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know what they're describing? Immediately when the church got launched, they had assemblies, corporate congregational gatherings, and then they would break down into small groups, into homes. It's how the church launched. If you're wondering, why does the church do what they do? They have a gathering of assembly, of congregational, of everybody gathering together on Sunday, and then they want to do groups in homes. Are you getting it? Because the gathering together is the coaching and the catalyst for spiritual growth. And we worship God together and we reset who is God and who's first. And then we get into small group because this is where church actually becomes your community for growing up. And if you don't have a small group, you'll not consistently be a person others can count on. Hear me. Because small groups is not a program of the church. Small groups is the practice of people who want a better life. It's how you get a better life. And Jesus did that for Peter. First of all, Peter was in Jesus' small group. First thing Jesus did was launch a small group. Peter was in it. And Jesus came back and restored Peter. After the death of Jesus, with his resurrection, he told Peter, remember, Peter and the disciples went back out to fishing for fish. They were called by Jesus to make a difference with their life and be a fisher of men. But they went back to fishing because they just said, I blew it, I messed up, I caved. And Jesus came to him and he said, look, I, I want to restore, I know you meant what you said when you said I could count on you. I want to call you right back to that. Lay the fishing nets down and get back to climbing. Get back to what? Climbing. That's number three in your notes. Climb. I want my life to count. See, I think the next thing Peter would tell you is that Jesus helped restore him to say, you know what? I want my life to count. And you, he was made for his life to count, and so were you. Climb, Peter. Jesus was saying, climb. Become the person others can count on. Get back to climbing uphill. Get, get, by the way, I, last year, John Maxwell was with us, and he, he delivered a line that I memorized. It's powerful. It just sits in my that Here it is. If you, if you don't remember it, you've you got to get this in your head and your heart. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Everything worthwhile is where? Uphill. Because, because you want to get the top of things in your life. See, you got to climb to get to the top of your character. You got to climb to get to the top of your marriage. You got to climb to get to the top of your faith. You got to climb to get to the top of your career. You got to climb. If you want to get to the top of something, you got to what? Climb. 
Climbing is more difficult. Going up is more difficult than going. Listen, if you want to get to the bottom in life, you don't need a small group. You, You don't need anybody's help. You can do it on your own. If you want to get to the bottom of your marriage and blow it up and be on your own and you want all the baggage that goes with that, you know what? This is no problem. Just be on your own. You, you want, you want, you, you, if you want to get to the bottom of anywhere in your life, you are not going to need help. Downhill is easy. But if you want to actually get somewhere in a better life, you got to climb. And Jesus is saying, Peter, start climbing. Here's what I noticed about myself. I have uphill dreams, but I got downhill habits. And I need dares like this. And I need to get in community to help me change by the help of God to become the person I was created to become. And I love this part in the story. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, 13, and 14. Watch this, because this is so powerful. You wouldn't immediately recognize it. But I'm going to read it and then explain it. Verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things, Peter writes, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. As long as I live in the tent of this body. My soul lives in the tent called the physical body. Because I know, he goes on, because I know that I will soon put it aside. Our Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. You know what he's saying? I'm soon going to die. I'm going to be martyred. Jesus already told me. I'm going to be martyred for the sake of the name of Jesus. You know what I love? The writing of 2 Peter, this letter, is the testimony of Peter becoming a person Jesus could count on. This letter is 34 years after Jesus restored him to say, go back to being a person I can count on. And for the last 34 years, Peter has been that person. He's been imprisoned for the name of Jesus. He's about to die for the name of Jesus. And all along, he's been challenging and inviting people to embrace faith in Jesus, their only hope. Peter became the person he told Jesus he wanted to be. You can count on me. And he's been doing it for 34 years, even after he messed up. That's the message of God to all of us. When you mess up, God is going to call you to climb because God uses ordinary, normal people. And that's all Peter was. There's nothing special about Peter. The only thing special about Peter is that Jesus gave Peter the power to be a person who could be counted on. He couldn't do it on his own. God uses ordinary people to build his kingdom. That's all this church is. That's all a church is. There's no great church. There's just a great God. And we say, oh, we're a great church. We are because we have a great God. Well, we set in motion a vision a couple of years ago to launch five campuses. Why? to launch five campuses in order to bring the teaching of God closer to people who are far from God. And then we sent out pioneers and a whole bunch of 12 stoners left the stable campuses, as we call them, the ones that are already established and growing, and, and, and they went out and into rental schools. Now, when you go from a, a campus that's kind of all right together and has awesome ministry stuff happening, and you just show up and walk away, and you go to a rental school where you got to go set up and tear down, how much fun does that sound? Does that sound fun? You know, it's always an awesome idea for somebody else. Oh, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> Good for you. I'm going to show up, get my coffee, and sit down. <laughs> we, we launched the five campuses. One of the commitments is that we're going to build 24-7 space, one way or another, for those campuses. God helping us. 
And everybody knew when they went out that we together as a church, you could count on us. We were serious about this. We'd take us some time, but we'd get there. And many of you know that we've already gotten there with a couple of them. Brazelton campus and Snellville campus got their 24-7 building space, and all of them are celebrating, and we're celebrating. That happened in the fall. We're like, woo! That's awesome. We're waiting out. Brazelton and Snellville, they're listening. They're like, yay! People are coming to Christ, and cool things are happening. It's exciting. Stuff that never would have happened without the building space. Why? Because you need a place like a family needs a home. I get it. But listen, listen. I want you to get this. Places like Buford, places like Bethlehem Campus, they're in rental space giving financially for Brazelton and Snellville to have a building that they don't have. How mature is that? Listen, Brazelton and Snellville didn't get in those buildings on their own. It took over 20,000 people to make it possible for those two campuses to get in space. God's opened the door for us to get property at Buford, and the plan is to break ground this June and get them in their 24-7 space in August of 2018. And we know the moment that opens, more people come to faith, come to Jesus. And right now, Buford is like, woo, this is going to be awesome. We'll all celebrate. But that's not possible on all of Buford's efforts. It takes all of Tostone to make that happen. And meanwhile, Bethlehem is giving and sacrificing so that Buford can open up their building. But Bethlehem knows that 12 stone collectively is committed and they can count on that eventually we're going to help them find the space. As God opens the door to property and eventually opens up a building because we do this together. And Bethlehem's like, yeah, that's got to happen. See, that's what it means to be. It's just normal people working together by the power of God, being counted on to the things that we said we would do that God's put on our hearts to do. And we can count on each other to go after the things God said we would do. And it's just normal people. Let me tell you a story. A man by the name of Tony. In 1987, I was 26 years old, young punk, just a jerk, and came down uh, to Atlanta, Planet Church, Marsha and I, and we didn't know anybody in Atlanta, and we just started going door to door. We didn't know anybody. We just started knocking on doors, and, 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 and that's how it started. We, we had the first service at the end of 87, beginning of 88, but in that time leading up to launching the church and having our first service, all we knew to do is go door to door and just try to meet people. I went to the door of Tony and eventually got an appointment back and got to sit down with Tony, and Tony was the very first person far from God who came into a relationship with Jesus. He was the first person to be saved, as we use that term in the Christian faith. Now, in time, Tony had some challenges. Tony had come from another state where he owned a house that was bankrupt because an entire section of economic depression had occurred, and everybody lost their house. And he was in deep debt, not to his own decision, but just the economy blew up over there. But see, Tony said, you know what? I have a new tag on my life. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that means Jesus is first in my life. And if Jesus is first in my life, then God needs to be first. He needs to be able to count on me. And this is just a new believer. He said, so I have to go to bankruptcy court. He said, so would you pray with me, pastor? I said, sure. How can I pray with you? He said, I'm going to go to the judge. I'm filing bankruptcy. I'm going to tell the judge, I want to do the bankruptcy where I pay everybody back. It'll take me a long time but I want to make, meet all my debts. But in order to do that, I will need time. But I need to be able to count on God, and God needs to be able to count on me, so I'm going to tell the judge, I'll pay all my debts back. If you will give me the protection to do that, I will pay all my debts back. I will honor them. But I need to count on God, or this will never work, and God needs to count on me, so you need to release me so that the first 10% of everything I make, I can give to God freely and tithe so that I know that God's in my life. And trust me, you can count on me for everything. I said... That's awesome, Tony, I'm gonna pray for you. And I walked away and said, he's nuts. I mean, that's never gonna happen. No judge is gonna do that. I mean, I didn't even have enough faith, but he's just a new believer and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna ask God. He came back, he said, the judge was so compelled and we know because of the hand of God, he said, yes. Here's the end of the story. 
He paid off all his debts, eventually paid off his present house, became debt-free, and listen, keep listening. And during all those years, for the last 28 to 29 years, 12 Stone has entered into 12 property purchases and 12 building programs to reach thousands and thousands of people. And Tony, just a normal guy, has given to every one of those, making it possible to change the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And he's just a regular guy who became somebody Jesus could count on. That's what it means to be the kind of person God can count on. It's powerful. And see, that's what small groups do. They help you climb to be the person you long to be because you want your life to count. Listen to the story of Kimberly, another 12-stoner who figured out the power of being in a group that helps you climb. My mom became very sick. From five to 17, I was never in the same home because she didn't want to raise me for whatever reason. My father was an alcoholic. And when she got sick was the only time I was able to come home. And that was because I had to take care of her and my younger brother. I was just their maid. <laughs> um, so as a little girl, you ask why? God, why did I have to do all this? Why did I miss my childhood? So for a long time, I was angry at God. My husband had been looking for a church to go to and I was extremely hesitant. And while he was in college, one of his people that he went to school with recommended 12 Stone and came to the church and came home loving it. And I was like, no, I'm not going. My kids were telling me how wonderful it was. So one day I decided I'm off work, I'm gonna go. We sat right in the front. <laughs> Something was stirring inside me. And then it was like PK was talking directly to me. And I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe this isn't so bad. My husband had done his small group the semester before by himself, and I stayed at home. But I knew there was something that I needed to do. I felt alone. <laughs> Even in this wonderful church that makes you feel so comfortable, there was something missing. We'll go after this together, but you don't have to do it alone because you can't do it alone. You'll need small groups. So it was the Double Dog Dare series of, you know, step out of your comfort zone. So I looked through all of the groups and my phone kept getting locked up on Camille's group. And again, I'm scrolling through them and I see Camille and it locked up again. And I was like, okay, God, I get it. This is it. This is the one I'm supposed to be at. So I signed up. Whatever it was, I always felt less than everybody else. I didn't want to sound stupid. <laughs> it was a lot of what ifs. What if they're smarter than me? What if they know the Bible better than me? It was all anxiety. The day of the small group, I was an hour early. I sat in Publix parking lot for 45 minutes talking myself out of it. Then I drove to her house, praying to God that if he really wanted me to go in, then I would. But if he, you know, wasn't sure, I'm asking God if he's not sure. <laughs> um, so I went in and I was home. For me, it's always gonna be health and it's always gonna be weight loss. So she was doing a Daniel plan. It stopped becoming about losing weight and it started more becoming about, I have a family now. We're gonna have a 5K, all 12 stone, fun walk or run 5K. And when they announced the 5K, I laughed jokingly and said, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that just because everybody else was saying it. Little did I know I was gonna do it. <laughs> the day of the fun run, the 5K, it was hot. It was miserable. <laughs> and I had already talked myself out of doing it when I got there. Camille and two others stayed behind and said that they wouldn't finish without me. I saw the finish line and all I could think to do was grab their hands because they weren't gonna leave me behind and I wasn't gonna leave them behind. Got past the finish line and then I collapsed. <laughs> but I did it, I did it. They believed in me so much, I believed in myself. It was something that I would have never done without them. What started out as uh, I'm just gonna go here, I'm gonna lose weight and it's gonna be done, ended up with, I have nine sisters that I can call day and night and they'd be here for me. My family wasn't there for me, but this family is. If I need them, they're always gonna be there. But if I need them to kick me in the butt, they're gonna do that too. Small group is the best thing you'll ever do in your life. Go in there, cry. <laughs> go in there, skeptical. Go in. What do you have to lose? Isn't that a great story? Good for Kimberly. Good for Kimberly. In other words, small groups is a vehicle where we help each other climb, make our lives count. But I think Peter would give us one last thought. It's brief, but it's powerful, and that is rest. Say it with me. What? Rest. In other words, I can count on God. See, in 2 Peter 1.19, Peter tells us God is reliable. His word is reliable. This is the way the apostle Paul said it. Look on the screen from 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, listen, if we, like Peter, blow it, mess up, and he can't count on us from time to time, if we are faithless, look at God. God remains what? Faithful, because he cannot disown himself. Know this. What you ultimately rest in is the knowledge that God is faithful to his word. God can always be counted on. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, maybe 2017, becomes the year when you choose to take the dare to become a person others can count on. Get on my Facebook. Facebook, Kevin Myers PK. If you're not a Facebook person, just start now. Maybe this is where you go declare and go public and say, you know what, I gotta become a person others can count on. And I wanna pray that for you. So bow your heads with me here in the cafe theater. Father, these are weighty, complex, and challenging conversations for us. The truth of the matter is, Lord, Maybe at first we think, oh, count on is going to be a message for somebody else. I don't need this dare. And then by the time we get to the end, we're like, ooh, I got some areas where I'm like Peter. I've said count on me, and, and, and my words were weak because my actions were absent. I made commitments to you and others, and dear God, I, I, I need to shore up. This, this, this is for me. Maybe some of us, Lord, are kind of like Peter and we need a moment with you where you would say to us, I know you mean it when you say you want to be a person others count on. And I want to call up the best in you, so get back to climbing. Maybe right now some of us just need to accept your forgiveness. Maybe some of us need to go home and say to our spouse, let's become people that we can count on. Let's in this marriage, let's do better. 
we got to be able to count on each other. Maybe in our family, we go home, we say to each other, hey, listen, our words need to matter with each other. We need to be able to count on each other. Maybe we need to go to work, say to a coworker, a boss, or, or an employee, hey, listen, you, you need to be able to count on me. I, I, I'm going to put myself out there on this. I, I, I'm going to grow in this. God, maybe we need to say to you in the kingdom and the church and small group and, and serving, listen, I said I'd do this. I, you need to be able to count on me. God, we, we just live in a fickle world that, this, that just fails. Whatever it may be, God, maybe right now, this is the press. This is the invitation. This is the real double dog dare. I, I pray that you would set it in our soul. I pray, God, that there would be literally a, a movement, if not an awakening among us, to become people that can be counted on. God, I know it would change our, our families and our careers and our education and our, our relationships. I know ultimately it would not only change our church, but honestly, God, it would change our community and it would change our country. These are the very practical things that you want to pour into us and awaken us to how significant it is if we would just say yes and if our yes would mean yes and our no would mean no we would pray this into our lives and God I pray that as you did with Peter you would do for us I pray that this would become a time when right now stories begin to be rewritten all across 12 stone and whoever's listening online and the like that five years 10 years 20 years like in Peter's case 34 years down the road he's still being counted on making his life count. Would you rewrite our stories that right now, like the moment you restored him after the resurrection, and then years to come, we have our story sound just the same. Let this blessing rest on us that we may get your better life, not only by your grace for eternity, but here and now. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed saying, amen. Now you can see why I was fired up, huh? I mean, I'm telling you, you go live this stuff, it will change your life. Next week is what, Sunday? You weren't ready.